This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 327, and we are recording on May 3rd. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Amanda Nelson. We're coming to you from Book Riot and the simultaneous fires of our rage slash exhaustion with the world. <laughs> show title. Yes. Uh, for those of you listening, yes, last night the su- news from the Supreme Court came out about Roe. And so we were all just kind of in a haze of sadness and incandescent rage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's about right. <laughs> Which, like, you know, I live there most of the time, but it's it's really <laughs> elevated. <laughs> it's elevated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't even... So we're going to do our best to talk about books, but, you know, this is where we're at. A lot of my books are accidentally about abortion a little bit, so right. yeah. just prepare yourself. This is what's... Also, I still have COVID, so, like, yeah. we're, we're coughing, we're stressed. <laughs> right. My allergies are also incandescent right now, so, you know, it's an interesting time to be a human in the world, let's say. <laughs> All right. So what the hell is this show about? You might be wondering. It's about books, I swear. It's, uh, it is a reading recommendation show. We do take requests from listeners like you about what you should read next. It can be for you. Maybe there's a certain kind of book that you love that you're having a hard time finding more of. Maybe you need to pick for a book club or a family member or a friend. Maybe you're a teacher. Whatever. Send us in your reading request and we might get to it. If it's time sensitive, you're hoping to hear back by a specific date, please put time sensitive in either the subject line of the email or the very first line of the form. Speaking of emails and forms, you can send your request to us either via email, getbooked at bookriot.com, or through the form that's on the bookriot.com site for the show notes. It's pretty straightforward, I swear. Okay. Oh, also... It is time for our Every Few Years listener survey. We love to hear what you are listening to, aside from our shows, obviously, uh, what you're interested in, more or less of, all of that good stuff. So if you would take a few minutes to tell us about what kind of podcast content you're loving, what you would like less of, you can go to bookriot.com slash listener survey. And if you fill out the survey, you will be entered to win a $50 gift card to the indie bookstore of your choice, which is pretty awesome. You can buy some books. So again, that's bookriot.com slash listener survey. Tell us what you think. All right. We have some feedback from Elizabeth uh, for Mega Looking for Books Set in Ireland, Night Boat to Tangier by Kevin Barry. Half of it is set in Ireland. Spectacular. He writes Ireland so well. If you prefer books set only in Ireland, Barry also has a collection called That Old Country Music, which is extremely atmospheric. And then also from Elizabeth for Amber Looking for Books Like A Little Life, The Heart's Invisible Furies, and Shuggy Bane. 
And then uh, from Amber, for the reader Tommy, looking for funny nonfiction, the author slash historian Emma Southen has written two laugh-out-loud funny books about Roman history, Agrippina, the most extraordinary woman in the Roman world, and A Fatal Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, which is (laughs) an amazing title. So many times did that happen. (laughs) Yeah, it's so so true. (laughs) Very true. Uh, All right. And then from Becky, for the reader who wanted a murder mystery set in Ireland. The Guest List by Lucy Foley is one of my favorite mysteries from the past few years. Murder mystery taking place at a wedding on a remote island off the coast of Ireland. And if you like audiobooks, it's a full cast of narrators with British and Irish accents, which really adds to the atmosphere. That does sound fun. All right. Amanda's going to read our first question, and then we'll take a sponsor break, and then we'll get with the recommending. All right. Our first question is from Rowan, who says, 10 years ago, I was in a very brief but intense relationship with another woman who was wrong for me in so many ways. It burned out quickly, but the fire was enough to make me feel more alive than I ever have before or since. Occasionally, I will be thrown back into the emotions I had during this time. I can't get her out of my head. I'm in Enneagram 4. This will tell Amanda a lot about me. You're right. It does. It does tell tell me a lot about you. Um, So I feel all the feels to their highest intensity and get wrapped up in my sensitivity and melancholy. Fours also really seek closure, and I did not get any in this relationship, which has led me to romanticize and hang on longer than I should. So my request is twofold. First, I would love a poetry collection that evokes this extreme romantic living on the age tension where you think the world will stop if you can't breathe the other person in, something impressionistic or stream of consciousness, sapphic is a must. Second, I would like a nonfiction book about how to reframe experiences with people in your life who you thought were integral, but were really just toxic. All right, let's hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Wife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. 
Ella assures her that she's fine. Partying hard is what it takes. But with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the critic Scott King John Steptoe Award for new talent for We Deserve Monuments. And We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes and Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023. So suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. I love that people are sending me Enneagram numbers now. (laughs) (laughs) I actually took this to my friend Laura, who is an Enneagram for the forest of fours. And I read her this question and she was like, oh, this is all this is all accurate. This all scans. So that was fun. Um, I'm going to keep going. So I put I took the second part of the question about a nonfiction book about reframing experiences with people in your life. And I am picking In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado, which comes with a trigger warning for domestic abuse. And this is, I'm coming at this question a little sideways. It's not a self-help book. It's not a book that's going to teach you about like boundaries or how to recognize toxic relationships, but it is a memoir. And Carmen Maria Machado was a, was she in Iowa? Yeah, I think she was at like the Iowa Writers Workshop. She met a woman who she fell deeply, deeply in love with. They began a very intense, very fiery, passionate relationship And then the woman turned out to be extremely abusive, emotionally and verbally abusive. And so the book, it's such a weird, it's if you've read any Machado, you will recognize that like the format is weird. They're very, they're little, every chapter is like a vignette. Some of them aren't even a full page. And it's like the dream house as the dream house being a metaphor for her relationship as some kind of horror trope. So she pulls tropes out of horror novels, fairy tales, folklore, and then tells the story of her relationship through the lens of those tropes. And it is fundamentally a horror novel. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, this relationship that you had sounds like it was maybe unhealthy, but certainly not, you didn't mention any kind of abuse or whatever. Um, So I'm not trying to like draw a direct line between your experience and Carmen Maria Machado's. However, This was a relationship that was super integral to her and that she did not recognize as a as a thing she could possibly escape from ever. Like she the relationship ended when the abusive person broke up with her. So she would have probably thought that this was an essential part of her life for a long time until she was forced not to. You I mean you never really know, you know, how you're going to respond in that sort of situation. But so much of this is about her looking back and reframing, you know, this argument that we had, the way that she responded to me when I said this thing and realizing how it wasn't just passion. It wasn't just you know, like intense feelings. It was toxic. It was unhealthy and it was abusive. And part of it, part of the reason why she struggled and that she talks about in the book is that this was her first long-term relationship with another woman. And the other woman used that as a manipulative weapon to get her to stay. So she would say things like, well, you just don't know what it's like to be with another woman. This is what it's like. And that is not a thing that is like talked about. And that's one of the reasons why this book became like such a big, not a hit, but you know, like was so well-received and people were really desperate for a story about domestic abuse that isn't just about heterosexual men. So it's a super Mm. important book. I think you're going to find a lot of things useful and interesting and familiar, even if your relationship was not exactly abusive in that way. So that's In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado. All right. So I took the poetry request. And I, while this is technically on spec because my hold for this book has not yet come in, I did find poems from the book to read. And like, I feel like I have nailed this, by the way. It's Love, Death, and the Changing of the Seasons by Marilyn Hacker. This is a poetry, like, 
collection slash narrative that is entirely about a love affair between two women that goes from like their first meeting till the end of the relationship. And what's super interesting about this book, and again, I read a couple poems, like I said, from this before I like read the commentary on the book, and I didn't even realize, but they're sonnets, but they're not I did not recognize that I was reading sonnets when I was writing poems. And I'm leaving a link for you in the show notes because I need you to read one of them to show you like exactly why this is so perfect for you. But I can't read from it on air because we would lose our rating. (laughs) It is. It's like a copyright violation. (laughs) Well, that's true. It's explicit. It's beautifully Uh, written. It is. Stunning language. And I think you are just, I think you're going to love it. I am so excited to read the whole thing instead of just the ones that I could find that have been published elsewhere. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's up there. Um, I also will leave. For, oh, what's that? I'm sorry. I'm reading it now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. It's, it's, um, it's spicy. It's real spicy and real good. So yeah, I think you're going to love it. Again, that's Love, Death and the Changing of the Seasons by Marilyn Hacker. I know, right? I know. It's everybody will be able to read the poem. I'm leaving it in the show notes for all of you to enjoy. I feel confident you will enjoy it. Okay. So our next question is from Ella, who says, I'll be blunt here. I'm looking for Spicy Oceans 8 fan fiction. I love a book where a group of sexy femmes get their very specific skill sets together to bring down social BS. Uh, societal BS, excuse me. It does not need to be explicitly graphic, although it is not a deal breaker, but I want to see these queer relationships play out how we all wanted to in the movie. Any genre is fine, the more diverse the merrier. Length is not an issue, and a series focusing on each individual character, a plus. Amanda, what do you have for Ocean's 8? I love this question. Ocean's 8. Yes, I have Uptown Thief by Aya de Leon, which is the first book in the Justice Hustler series, which is essentially... Oceans 8 meets Hustlers, like the movie Hustlers, if you mm. saw that movie, which I did, and I loved it, and I'm obsessed with it. Okay, um, so this the first book is about a woman named Marisol who comes from a background of, of abuse and as an adult has opened a woman's health clinic on the Lower East, Lower East Side, excuse me, in New York, and this is what she does. She gives disadvantaged women healthcare and access to resources to start over when they need that. She also runs an exclusive escort service for rich and powerful dudes in New York as a way to bankroll her business because, as we all know, working at a women's health clinic is not lucrative, (laughs) especially now. Accidental Mm. relevance, hashtag. (laughs) And so um, she... not The escort service is also a cover. (laughs) So she's got a lot of stuff going on here. The Women's Health Clinic partially covers for her running the escort service. The escort service is a cover for how she uses it as a way to get access to wealthy men's homes and then robs them. It's very Robin Hood. Like, these are all very bad, obnoxious, abusive, horrible dudes. And so she has this, like, crew who help her do this, who she, some of whom, you know, are from her past, some of whom she's met at the clinic. Um, And then the wrinkle in the current in the book, in you know, like in their current present day, is that she has met a few people who like are throwing wrenches into her plan. So she meets this ex-cop who's like very cute, but also, you know, was a cop, which could be a problem for her on many levels. Um, and so she has all of these precise plans that start to fall apart. But she really needs her 
her like cons to go well because the clinic is struggling more and more and she needs money to keep it open. So there's, I, I mean, I think it hits on pretty much everything you're asking for. Um, there are queer characters. Uh, it's a super diverse cast of like, you know, the, the, the crew that runs the heists, um, lots of societal issues, great representation of sex work. I don't know that there are like white main characters. I'm trying to remember. Anyway, it's just super diverse and really fun um, while also like taking on those heavy hitting kind of um, societal issues that we're all thinking about today. <laughs> so that's Uptown Thief by Aya DeLeon. Yeah. Speaking of Robin Hood, mine is literally a Robin Hood remix by way of like Ocean's 8 and Leverage and History. It's a really <laughs> interesting combination. It's Travelers Along the Way by Amina Mai Safi. I love a retelling, obviously. And so I picked this one up, not really knowing what I was getting into. It's pretty epic. It is uh, uh, re literally, it says in the title, it's a remix of Robin Hood. It takes place in Jerusalem or in and around Jerusalem in the late 1100s while the Crusades are going on, which is the traditional historical time period for Robin Hood. But usually it takes place like Robin Hood is after, you know, King Richard gets back from the Crusades. So this is literally a bunch of women plus a couple dudes sidekicks get together to steal peace for Jerusalem. Like, what? It's it's really fun. The characters are fantastic. The heart of this group is Zina and Rahma, who are soldiers who left their home because Zina is like so dedicated to the cause. And so they are fighting against, you know, the invading Ferengi is what they call them, uh, English and, you know, Europeans, fighting against the uh, invading Europeans. And there's this whole, like, subplot going on that involves Saladin and Queen Isabella and, you know, King Richard and a peace treaty. And one of the, um, like, they they kind of assemble this ragtag group as they're traveling throughout the Holy Lands. And one of them is, like, super good at science and blowing things up in a medieval way. And, like, one of them is actually actually a Mongolian princess who's like the level-headed, like, everybody be chill, we got this kind of character. And there is queerness, there is, like I said, a couple dude sidekicks, but like the heart of this story is these women who are like, you know what, we got this. And it is so satisfying. It is not spicy. It is like very, there's nothing sexual on the page, but there is like, you can see that characters are queer and are like, you know, making relationships and there's all kinds of great, oh, the like the relationships between the people in this group are so satisfying, like platonic, romantic, whatever. They're all really satisfying. Um, so I think you're going to enjoy it. Again, that's Travelers Along the Way by Amina Mai Safi. All right. Question three is from Nadia, who says, I'm looking for a recommendation for books like The Vanishing Half for my book club. We all loved it, and I want to impress them with another awesome pick. We love a open question like this. I love, yeah. I love it so much. Okay. So I picked Beasts of a Little Land by Juhaya Kim, which comes with a trigger warning for rape. And this is a multi... Is it multi-generational when I say that? No. It's, it's like a whole lifespan. So it opens in 1917 in Korea and then works up to pretty much like modern times. And I picked it because The Vanishing Half is very similar. There's this really magical thing that historical fiction can do where it takes you back to a time where things feel completely unfamiliar or to a, a historical period that you know about but like don't have the details of um, or some aspect of it and then pulls you through 
how that impacts the way we live now. And The Vanishing Half really does that, right? Like that book is about segregation and then goes through a few through three generations, I think, takes you up to how we're still feeling the effects of it. And this is a uh, similar. So it opens in 1917, like I said, in Korea which is during the Japanese occupation of the country. And it follows two kids, one named Jade, who is born into a pretty poor family who sells her to a courtesan school. And then a little boy named Jung Ho, who's an orphan in the streets of Seoul. And their paths eventually cross when they're, I think, like 11. And then they kind of grow, they grow up together. He falls in love with her. She has to deal with that. Like they, they have these very different paths. He becomes a gangster and then an activist, both for uh, overthrowing the occupation of Japan and then also dealing with America and all of that. Um, and she becomes a famous actress and falls in love with someone else. It's just like these complicated human dramas against a backdrop of history. The reason why I like this one so much is it's not about white people in the same, very similar to the how The Vanishing Half is not really about white people. It's about people pretending to be white in some ways, uh, not in some ways, like explicitly. But this isn't about like, you know, you get you get books that are set around World War One or World War Two or really anything in the first half of the 1900s. And they're so often about like America going out there and being obnoxious or horrifying in the world somewhere. But this is not about that. Like we in the West tend to forget or purposefully ignore the fact that Asia and all of these continents have had their own dramas and struggles for thousands of years of which we were not ever a part, you know, and that we did, don't still know much about. So we don't talk a lot, at least we didn't when I was in school, about the Japanese occupation of Korea and the effects that that had on the various world wars that broke out and then also on the politics of that area now. So it's it's important. It's interesting. There's a love story. It's just got all that kind of juicy human stuff that The Vanishing Half also has. Both of Brit Bennett books, actually. You should go read them all. So that's Beasts of a Little Land by Johea Kim. Uh, yeah, it was very it was very open, as Amanda said, because you didn't say specifically what your group liked about it. So I decided to double down on the like hashtag complicated sister and family story piece mm. of The Vanishing Half. So I went with Silver Sparrow by Tayari Jones. This is a book about two teenagers who are sisters, but only one of them knows it. The father has two families. He's a bigamist. And Dana and Sharice are two of his you know daughters who are roughly the same age and like i said only one of them actually knows that their sisters they meet it's like extremely complicated and you also get these flashbacks from other members of the family i think like the grandmother gets a flashback one of the grandmothers um there's uncles and there's all kinds of different family members involved in this and like the way that Jones handles the perspective switches, the flashbacks, the like tension of like, oh my gosh, like how is this going to turn out? And it's not a happy story, let me just say, mm. but it's very deeply about like, yeah, what does it mean to be family? Like, can you find family in places where you don't expect it or like, do you not, you know, like how, what happens when you reject family? Like all of these things um, are very deeply woven in here. And, you know, the, it's set in the 80s in Atlanta. And so you just like feel for these girls on so many levels. I mean, they're trying to like, you know, have a coming of age moment in this very intense context. So it's a book that works on so many levels. It's really well done. Uh, again, that's Silver Sparrow by Tayari Jones. 
All right, our next question is from Cooper, who says, Long story short, I've run into the all-too-common unreciprocated romantic feelings issue a number of times now, and it's starting to wear on me. I do my best not to be too upset, since that's just how these things go. The most recent subject of my affection started dating someone else literally the day before I intended to ask her on a date. I think they're both great people, and I wish the best for them, but I can't help feeling frustrated all the same. So my request is, do you have a book that features a prominent character dealing with a similar problem where the person they love loves someone else, but they aren't trying to sabotage the relationship or otherwise become a jerk towards either party? I want to find a character who is happy for the person they care about while still struggling with the emotional aftermath of things not going the way they'd hoped. Oh, Cooper, I so feel for you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This was like the story of my dating life for decades. So yeah, I have I have a lot of feelings about this question. Amanda, what did you pick? I look, this was hard. This was so It was a hard I question. Went, I went back through my Goodreads account and I managed to find lots of books where the first part of this happens, but yes. they were all romance novels, so the second part not so much. <laughs> so I had to take it to the contributors. I got a recommendation from Megan, uh, one of our contributors, and it's It Sounded Better in My Head by Nina Kenwood, which is a YA novel, but they're like old older. It's that interesting YA kind of subgenre of post-high school, pre-college, like mm. the sum, that summer uh, when you're technically an adult but are still living with your parents, that weird in-between time, which I kind of love. Like, that's such a weird, it's such an awkward time to be alive, that, that one two-month period. Anyway, so this is about um, a woman named Natalie. I guess she's a woman, girl, she's 18, whatever. She's living with her parents. They announced that they, not only are they getting divorced, but they've been separated for a while. They've just like not been lying to her, which is awkward. Um, and she also, at the same time, discovers that Zach and Lucy, her two best friends, have hooked up. Like they are developing feelings for each other. It's a whole thing. The problem there is that Natalie has always kind of assumed that she would end up with Zach one day. Like she has not backpocketed him, but is definitely was kind of hoping for that to happen. And before she decides to do anything about it, he gets with her other best friend. And so now she feels just like really awkward being around them, like a third wheel, but she's not trying to do anything about it. Like in your question where you mentioned, like she's not trying to sabotage the relationship. She's not trying to get in between them. She realizes she had no real claim to him because she had these feelings, but never did anything about it. And she's happy that they're happy. So like, she doesn't want to break them up. She wants them to be together, but she also has to deal with the fact that like she's sad about it. And this is not the future that she envisioned for herself in a lot of ways, both with her parents and with this relationship. So it is about a, like a, a kind of a month or two of her figuring out what she wants to do with her life, how she's going to manage her parents' separation, and how she's going to navigate this friendship now that you know the door to a romance she wanted is closed, but also... Now she's hanging out with a couple, which just is kind of, I don't know, you know, awkward. It's just awkward, especially if it's a new couple because they tend to be very affectionate and you're just kind of standing there like I thought we were going to a movie. You know, that whole thing. (laughs) The whole thing is just a weird ride. So that is It Sounded Better in My Head by Nina Kenwood. Yeah, it was not an easy question. I went through so many books for this because in especially in books about adult characters, either 
they ultimately end up with the object of their affection or they move on and almost no time is spent on dealing with the emotional fallout. It's like, oh, look, Mm -hmm. they're happy now with this other person, which is cool, but like not what you're asking for. Or like things go very, like things get very dark. So it was tricky. And it does turn out that YA is way better at this, um, Mm -hmm. this specific feeling set, because mine is also a YA book that Tirza, one of our other contributors, mentioned to me. And I'm halfway through and I'm loving because, and let me just say, that when I was in one of these unrequited situations, which, as I said, I have been in more than once in my life as both a teenager and as an adult, I always like no matter how old I was, I felt like a teenager again in that moment, like Mm -hmm. that yearning and like sort of inability to like that paralysis around like working up the nerve to say something or like trying to like get out of your own head and like into a space where you can do something about it or changing your mind 16 billion times about whether or not like that all feels it makes me feel like I'm 13 again so I don't know if that's true for other people but I do think YA is very cathartic because that's like this book in particular and I think a lot of ways like yeah let's roll around in those feelings and explore them like Mm. let's be in those feelings so my pick for you is Kings Queens and in Betweens by Tanya Bethaju, which is so fun and sweet, but also, yeah, like really digs into these feelings. The main character, Nima, has this very good friend who she is in love with and has been for like three years that, you know, they met in like, you know, when they were 14 and now they're 17 going on 18. And she finally works up the nerve to say something and she gets shut down because the girl that she's in love with is straight. And is just it wants to be friends, which is like a legit choice, obviously. But it's really hard for Nima. And she like she's really sort of shattered by this, not because anybody was mean or like she doesn't understand and respect her friend's decision, but just because, you know, she's invested a lot of emotional energy in this. And so she's trying to figure out how to move on. And she has this encounter. There's like a local festival and she has this encounter where she meets a girl who is also a drag king and is like part of this like drag show and gets introduced to this whole new world that she has not previously been a part of. And that also, it gets off to a rocky start. It's like, it's real, it's real rocky. Um, But this book is very much about like, yeah, when you are feeling overlooked and unloved and unappreciated like how can you how can you find space to move forward how can you find the people who are going to help you move forward which I think is very much part of that whole unrequited love situation or at least has been for me so again that's Kings Queens and Inbetweens by Tanya Bethaju Oh, and side note, uh, a bonus TV recommendation, because we were talking about this um, as like, a like yeah, well, let's brainstorm what, what these titles could be. Jamie recommends Our Beloved Summer on Netflix because a side character goes through this exact thing. So bonus recommendation. All right. Time for another sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself 
Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. All right. Our next question is from Stephanie, who says, after reading Amy Poehler's Yes, Please, I decided to crawl out from under my rock and finally watch Parks and Rec and was completely hooked. Besides loving the humor, I also appreciate the line it walks between satirizing the ridiculousness of government while also recognizing its potential for greatness, even if it's on a small scale. I work for the government myself, and I find the show surprisingly inspiring. I also really love Leslie and Ben's romance, slow burn, sweetly romantic between two nerdy, smart people, and of course, the quirky cast of characters. I would love some ideas for books that evoke the same feelings and enjoyment as the show. Okay, I, first of all, props to you for finally watching Parks and Rec. Also, no judgment, I'm finally watching Friends, which I did not. <laughs> like, I'm marathoning Friends. I watched the first probably two seasons of Friends when it aired in the 90s and then never watched it again. So I have no idea what's going on. Um, so it's an interesting pop culture experiment to like go back and rewatch these things that, like everyone else has already watched. So I picked Geekerella by Ashley Poston for you um, because I kind of fixated on the like sweetly romantic, nerdy, smart, quirky part of your question. And that this is definitely that. So it's about a girl named Elle who lives with her horrible stepmother, as you can imagine from the title, and her stepsisters who bully her a lot. Elle is a member of the fandom of Starfield, which is like a classic sci-fi series that she grew up with watching her father, who is now dead. Um, it's very much like a Star Trek kind of thing. And so she sees that there is a cosplay contest for a new Starfield movie she wants to enter. And the prize, if she wins, is that she'll get to attend a cosplay ball at this big con and do a meet and greet with an actor who's supposed to play a prince in this reboot. And she's like very excited about that. She works at a food truck called the Magic Pumpkin because of course she does. Um, and so she's going to use her money from that part-time job and her, one of her dad's old Starfield costumes and like win this contest. And then the uh, the hero is an actor named Darian. He's a teenager as well, who is also super, super geeky. He's a big Starfield fan. Like it's been his dream to play this character forever. But now he's famous and all he's doing is like awkward autograph signings and feeling kind of like a piece of fandom meat for the fandom to consume and like nobody knows who he really is. And so he's got to go to this con as well. And then of course the two of them meet and 
romance ensues. And it is just adorable. It's adorable and sweet. And you know, I'm going to make a make a parallel here between small local government and geek culture that <laughs> I th- I think stands. I think it stands because geek culture is also so much about like everyone should be included and it's effective. You know, this should be like an effective place for people to come and feel like they, you know, are welcome. However, that is often not how it plays out because people are not perfect. And so I think there are a lot of parallels between like this is a community that feels like it's doing a lot of good and has the potential to do a lot of good, but can also be very toxic and ineffective at doing that thing. I think both are true. So I think it might actually scratch that little bit of an itch for you. So that's Geekerella by Ashley Poston. Yeah, I spent a lot of time thinking about this question because I really wanted to find you something that had the government element. And there's just... There's lots of books out there about, like, government gone very wrong, but there's, like, not a lot of, like, cute books about government. Like, that's not, that is a niche that has not been explored very much. So uh, we might be, like, a few years out from having more of that. But the closest I could get is The House on the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Klune. House in the Cerulean Sea. I can never remember, y'all, that, what if it, what it is. But anyway, okay, so it's The House in the Cerulean Sea. And our main character, Linus, is like a bureaucrat. Like, he lives a very quiet life. He's 40. He lives alone with his, like, sort of his cat. This cat has decided to move mm-hmm. in with him. And he works. He's like a caseworker, a social worker for magical children, uh, which in this world are stigmatized and often end up in government housing and under government supervision. And so that whole element is like rough for some people, which is a very legit thing. But what it does allow is for a super quirky, fun cast that you cannot help but feel for. Linus is sent to this island where there is a home for very specifically like magical, potentially dangerous, they're considered dangerous children that is run by this very mysterious man named Arthur and the romance absolutely like very sweet slow burn you know two adults who are like is this a thing like I don't know it's got a little complicated by like our work relationship yes but like we're gonna make it work anyway and the children at this place are amazing I mean you have a literal antichrist it's like not his fault mm. that his dad is Satan like it's not his fault Um, you have like a blob child who wants to be a hotel bellman you have a kid who turns into to a like an animal like a tiny corgi it's very fun and sweet and it has i think a lot of that like cheerful hopefulness of parks and rec definitely the quirky characters um but ultimately it's very much about like linus deciding like okay yeah like i need to actually think about what i'm doing here and how this government works and like i can make change like it really the the message for linus is that he is capable of making change even though it doesn't feel really possible and he does care a lot about his job so it has that sort of government and dealing with bureaucracy aspect to it so again that's the closest i could get the house in the cerulean sea by tj clune All right. Our next question is from Tracy. 
who says, oh, well, first, who asks us, do we just both read all day, every day? LOL, no. We <laughs> we do not get paid to read. We have to read on our own time. It is a lot of work. Uh, okay, so Tracy says, my eyes were recently opened to the issue of white privilege. I'm white and 35 years old, a bit ashamed it took this long. I've been reading a lot of books about racism in general, Waking Up White, The Hate You Give, The New Jim Crow. I'm looking for more books, fiction or nonfiction, about racism in a way that is eye-opening. Bonus points for how not to to be just a well-meaning white lady and actually get in there and be helpful. I'm at a point in my own education that I want to do more than just read about it and actually do something about it while also being white. Mm. Uh, Yeah, Tracy, welcome. Welcome to the fight. (laughs) We're glad you're here. No shame, lady. Come sit by us. Yeah, exactly. Amanda, you want to you want to talk? Sure. Um, I picked Hood Feminism by Mickey Kendall. Um, I think this is a great kind of racism 2.0, you know, or 201 or whatever, next thing to read after you've gotten your head around the kind of basic ideas of what white privilege is and things like that. Because feminism, which most people, most women listening to the show, I'm sure would say is a value that they have, can also be quite racially oppressive. And that's what this book is about. It is about the ways that white feminism specifically tends to purposefully or sometimes accidentally ignore issues that are specific to people of color and women of color in order to maintain the kind of supremacy that their whiteness has given them. So uh, and this is, you know, I mean, most white women voted for Trump in this country. So it's not like she's making this up or this is like a thing based on feelings. This is factually what's going on out there in the world. And so she talks about the issues one by one um, and things that can be done about them. So things like food insecurity, education, living wage, access to abortion care, all of these very specific kind of, what's the word, uh, wonky policy uh, aspects of feminism that are more than just, I should be paid as much as a white man, which is important, but uh, leaves behind a lot of people. And so the way that I think that this is useful for somebody who is kind of coming awake or alive or whatever to injustice is that it gives you a menu of issues to care about and you don't have to do all of it. And I think that that's a really common mistake with people who are kind of, I I hate to say getting woke. I don't like what that, you know, whatever. Mm. It has all of those goofy implications now. But if you have decided that you want to become involved in writing injustices, you do not have to write all of the injustices. (laughs) Like every bad thing that's happening out there is not now your responsibility. I think it's really important that especially at first you just pick one. And there are so many here in this book that she's talking about. And you can find the one that calls to you. Like, do you care more about food access? Do you care more about abortion access? Do you care more about quality education being available for everyone? And then you can find organizations in your area that are working on that specific thing or legislation that's coming up before your local government bodies about that specific thing and get involved in a small way, which is often the way we have the biggest impact in reality. So that's Hood Feminism by Mickey Kendall. Yeah, Amanda and I were very much on the same page on this. I picked for you White Tears, Brown Scars by Rumbi Hamad, which is very much about a deep dive into what white feminism, how it has been used to support white supremacy. And it really digs into the history of it, which I found really useful as a white lady who is an intersectional feminist, like the way that like white women were sort of in some cases manipulated or in other cases like dove in of themselves to use their own 
oppression and their own privilege to like uphold white supremacy was super enlightening like your eyes are gonna be open you may never I like I knew obviously about the white tears concept but Hamad really brings it home here um, gives all kinds of examples both from like current you know pop culture as well as history and I think what's so important about this book is that it gives white women like us a way to think critically about our involvement based on what Hamad is showing us. And it also is a good reminder that, like, we do face oppression, but also we have a lot of privilege. And, like, the thing I want to say to you is, like, you can use that in a not... Like, you can weaponize your white tears against white supremacy. Like, you Mm. put on your speak-to-the-manager voice. Like, go talk to the people that, like, you think might benefit from having a a conversation about this. And you don't have to be... You know, you can be as, like, gentle or aggressive as you want, but, like, you can have conversations with people that folks of color cannot have. Like, you Mm. can get away with a lot that folks of color cannot. And so that's... I feel like our job is to do those things, to like speak to the manager on behalf of these causes, but knowing our place in there. So like it's not, as Amanda said, it's not our job to fix everything and we're not in charge of what needs to get fixed. If it's an issue that is directly affecting folks of color, we listen, we learn what they need and we help them get it. Like that's what we do. So again, my pick is White Tears, Brown Scars by Ruby Hamad. All right. Our last question is from Kaylin, who says, I'm writing in to find book recommendations for elf romances, meaning someone who is an elf, falls in love with someone else, does not have to be another elf, that are not in the YA category. I recently read and enjoyed Emma Canada's and Anna Kabrisky series and Rachel Hamowitz's Song of the Fallen series. I know that elves are probably more common in epic fantasy, but I'm not familiar with that genre. Can you steer me in the right direction? Yes, we can. My favorite part of this question was, does not have to be another elf. I love that so much. <laughs> I know. Doesn't have to be another elf. Doesn't matter. It's fine. Okay, so all of the like caveats about the Court of Thorn and Roses series, except that that's like the thing you're going to get recommended if you go searching for this. But I will tell you that that is both, well, it's kind of new adultish, but it's fairies. It's not. It's not elves. So there's not the same thing. Okay, so I picked <laughs> Elvish for you by S.G. Prince, which is the first book in the Elvish trilogy. So there are obviously three that you can read here. And this is about Alina and Venick. And Alina is an elf. And she catches Venick, who is a human, wandering in the elf lands, where if you are a human who is caught wandering in the elf lands, the penalty for that is death. And for her own reasons, when she catches him, she decides not to kill him. She is going to teach him elvish, which is a language in which you cannot lie when you speak, and find out all of his, you know, secrets, S-E-K-R-I-T-S, going to get all of your secrets. Uh, and then she's going to let him go. And she has her own kind of reasons for wanting to do this. And Venick is like, great, happy to do it. Happy to learn Elvish. If this means you're not going to slit my throat here, out here in the cold, that would be that would be great. Uh, so he immediately agrees. And in the course of her teaching him the language, and, you know, him like living in their land, um, they get to know one another. There start to be a little bit of feelings. He uncovers some secrets of his own, all while living in the elf lands and being like super hated by everyone around him. It's a little awkward. And you get the reasons for this like interspecies kind of conflict and drama. Of course, you get all of the backstory too. So there's a lot going on here. There's this romance between this person and this elf. There are reasons that they both have for both being there and for letting the other one stay there. And you're kind of 
it's like kind of a mystery. Like you are uncovering these reasons as you go. And there's like political intrigue. It's not like it's, it's you know, got a little Game of Thronesy stuff going on there. So that's Elvish by S.G. Prince. That sounds very enjoyable. I will look that up. <laughs> yeah. So I am recommending a get booked favorite. It's Witchmark by C.L. Polk. I think you're gonna love it. There's some of the <laughs> most interesting elf stuff in this series. Like I do not think I have seen someone do what Polk has done with the elves in this, and I really enjoy it. Um, the series is not, ta- I wouldn't call it epic fantasy. Uh, it is sort of like gas lamp. Uh, it takes place in an Edwardian England-ish world. There is a world war going on. There are these uh, very like rich, fancy, noble families who have magical gifts that they use to, you know, control situations. But if you are, it's like on the DL that they have magic. And if you are a person from a lower class who has magic, you are like called a witch and shot into an asylum. So magic is very stigmatized and regulated. Uh, our main character, Miles, is from, uh, well, you find, I don't think this is a huge spoiler. He is, he is from, he has magic, which uh, he is hiding. And he is from a noble family, but he like faked his own death, basically, to get out of that situation and is now working as a doctor at a veterans hospital. Oh, content warnings, uh, PTSD and harm to women and children, because the soldiers that he was working with are suffering from this malady that he is pretty sure is magical that is causing them to like do horrible things that can not just be solely attributed to, you know, PTSD. I mean, PTSD is pretty bad, but like some weird, something weird is going on here. And he encounters an elf during the course of like trying to solve a murder. Complicated. Hashtag complicated. Lots of things going on. And the elf is like this very beautiful man and they like catch feelings for each other. But it's it is complicated for all kinds of reasons. Um, And I just could not get enough of the two of them. I loved the way the story sort of incorporates the fairy aspect of this with like just totally new sort of an envisioning. And the whole series is fantastic. It is complete. It is only somewhat about elves later on. So, you know. Take it for what it is. But this first book in particular, I think, will scratch the ish. Uh, Again, it's Witchmark by C.L. Polk. And that's our show. Thank you. Thank you all so much for listening. We even when we're in our feelings. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Thanks also to our audio editor, Jen Zink, for dealing with our incandescent allergies and flubs and things. Uh, If you would like more book recommendations, you can get those at bookriot.com. You can also find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. If you would be so kind as to leave us a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts and or Spotify and or wherever, we would really love that. It helps other folks find the show. Um, You should also fill out our survey. Remember, $50 for an indie bookstore, you might win. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's bookriot.com slash listener survey. Thank you so much to our sponsors. And in between shows, you can find us on social media. Amanda, where are you at? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And you can find me on Instagram at I am Jen IRL, I-A-M-J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And also sometimes on Tumblr and Twitter at Jen IRL. And we will talk to you next time. Call call your senators. Call your, <laughs> call your politicians, please. Call your people. 